We, the people, Congress shall make no law. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. And now, your host, Tony Ashcraft. Welcome to Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft. In the studio with me today is Jeremy Erb. Jeremy, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Tony. So uh, Jeremy's going to hang out with us today and talk a little bit. We're going to cover some different things. And uh, um, <clears throat> one of the things that, uh, uh, that we wanted to talk about a little bit was um, the Second Amendment. And not the Second Amendment as it is kind of um, put out there, you know, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, but sort of the intent of the Founding Fathers. I don't think a lot of people realize what went into the Second Amendment. They just didn't write down a paragraph. You know, one guy scribbled it down and said, okay, you guys signed this, we're done. Great, we got guns now, everything's good. That's not how it went down. There was a lot more to it than that. And uh, so a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, Jeremy is a little bit better versed in uh, in U.S. history than I am when it comes to the uh, the Constitution, the First and Second Amendment. Uh, but uh, we're going to have a chat. But uh, I want to remind you guys that are watching on uh, Facebook, we appreciate it. So after this first segment, uh, if you want to continue to listen to the show, you can do that via the TuneIn app. It's free. Download it. Search for Vinyl Draft Radio and tap that app. You can also catch us at VinylDraftRadio.com. It's got uh, bullet points as well as the other programming here on Vinyl Draft Radio. You can catch that. Uh, you can uh, listen to, uh, to past episodes, too. And you can also find us on SoundCloud. So uh, I want to get to the firing line. What I'm going to talk about, um, uh, we're going to talk about AR triggers, specifically drop-in triggers. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of them out there. And, uh, you know, as you guys know, I own Black Rifle Company. We do custom AR builds. So one of the things that we always talk to about customers when they uh, are to with customers when they come in is, uh, is, is trigger systems. And a lot of guys want to upgrade their trigger from their stock trigger. But what is it you need to look for in a drop-in trigger? Why does it make a difference? And uh, are you spending money that's really a value for you? And I think in the case of, uh, or just in speaking to customers, I think that a lot of times customers have something in mind, but they, they think they know how to get there, but they most of the time they really don't. Because inevitably, the first question or the first statement that somebody will make regarding a drop-in trigger is, I want a three-pound trigger, or I want a two-pound trigger, or I want a half-pound trigger. What's the lightest trigger they make? When in reality... I don't think that's what they want. They just want something with a crisp, predictable break. And, uh, but they think you have to get there uh, by getting a light trigger. So there's really four components that we have to think about uh, when we talk about drop-in triggers. And uh, that first component is, uh, is creep. So creep is kind of a, a reference to how much take-up you have in the trigger before you get to the point of applying pressure to actually drop the hammer. So um, there are triggers out there, you know, a mil spec trigger, just the old uh, generic parts kit investment cast fire control group that you find in an AR-15. 
Uh, creep varies wildly in those things, and they're some of them are pretty good, and uh, but most of them are, are pretty inconsistent and feel sort of gritty and sort of sort of sandy. So creep is one factor, and the next one is uh, uh, is where that four pound or three pound or two pound measurement comes in. Now that's actually the trigger break. So that's the amount of pressure that it takes to drop the hammer. Um, the third thing is uh, over travel, and so over travel is a measure. Once the hammer is dropped, how much further does the trigger continue to travel um, back of that break point? And then the fourth thing is reset. So after the, the cycle of pulling the trigger, dropping the hammer, discharging the weapon has gone through, the trigger continues to physically travel back, then as you start to let it go and move it forward again, um, it will click to reset, meaning it's ready to for you to pull it again and fire it again so all of these are different factors that i think we have to um uh to take into account when uh when selecting a trigger um and jeremy i know that you and i talked a little bit about um uh you know different types of triggers but you know triggers are, are different you you want something different in a pistol versus a rifle i feel like that's the case i mean on um on the weapons that I have, I usually would go with uh, a pretty light, crisp single stage on a rifle, uh, but you want a predictable break. Um, and I feel like on a pistol, you almost want to be surprised by the break so that you don't you know, flinch or, or pull a shot. Agreed. Agreed. And I think, uh, you know, in thinking about selecting a drop-in trigger on an AR-15, uh, the other thing that I think some folks fail to take into account is the role of the rifle what are you doing with it uh, you know is it a long-range gun it, you know you mentioned you own a creedmoor i mean you're you're shooting way the hell out there with a creedmoor so i would think a guy like you or, or an application like that uh something that you're sitting prone or you're laying prone or you're on a bench you're at a resting position and you're shooting far um then you could a uh, trigger with a with no creep you know with just a single stage clean break right away, light break, would probably be something that would benefit you. But somebody that builds, say, an AR-15, a pistol, or even a carbine-length gun, a 16-inch gun, probably does not need a uh, uh, a trigger that's that crisp or that soon because you're going to want a little bit of take-up. I mean, you got to think, um, if, if you applied the same logic to a carry pistol, as you would an AR-15 that you carried around, you know, uh, in a truck or, you know, it's a camp gun or, you know, you hunt with it or your kids shoot with it or whatnot. You don't want the lightest trigger possible on there. I mean, you want something that's got a little bit of, little bit of movement to it, a little bit of, of forgiveness to it, even if it's not the most accurate thing out there. Yeah, I, I think you're pretty much dead on. I do have, um, on my Creedmoor, it is actually a, a two-stage. There's mm -hmm. still almost no creep, but you can feel the trigger setting, and I think that's important because the break is really important on, on those longer shots. Um, from a safety standpoint, yeah, it's a very light trigger because you are prone and you're you know pointed at the target basically at all times on something you're going to carry for work or shoot for speed i think you would want a single action and i think or a single stage and mm -hmm. i think you would want it to be a little bit heavier um because when you're running and gunning you, you don't want something to happen too early or too late send mm -hmm. one over the berm you get sent home 
right, right, or in the ground or yeah. you know, in your leg or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all kinds of bad things can happen. Yeah, you're right when you're moving around, and, and that is uh, – that's honestly that's what, that's what I don't think people uh, take into account. Of course, you know when you're building an AR-15 or any rifle for that matter, we want the most refinement that we can get in our weapon for the money that we build. But it's not always a uh, uh, you know in a, as a practical exercise, it's not always uh, as what we want to do. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different uh, for for those of you that don't know what a, a two-stage trigger is and have wondered about that, a two-stage trigger has a a whole bunch of creep in it. Well, I don't want to say a whole bunch because they're not all like yeah. that. It's not really creep. It's just there is a there's a light stage where you feel it taking up. The brake is still very crisp, but there's two different phases of mm-hmm. pull weight for sure. Yeah. So the first one gives you a little bit of resistance, as Jeremy mentioned, and you come back and you get to that that point, you sort of hit a a wall. Yeah. Hit a if it's bit done of, right. Yeah. Right. If it's done right, you hit a wall, and you know that next little bit of exertion there is going to drop the hammer. So that gives you an opportunity to have a, a, a crisp trigger break and a light trigger, but also allows you, if you're shooting from a shouldered position and you're standing up, to, uh, to follow up on that next shot because, you know, you, you've got a little room to, a little bit of finger movement before that, uh, that, uh, that break is there, before that hammer falls. Um, there's a bunch of different, uh, you know, you'll hear at different companies. There's a match trigger. There's a three gun trigger. There's a, uh, all kinds of names. And, and if we're being honest, most of it is just marketing. Everybody has their favorite, but if you ask them why they just say, because that's what I've always used. Um, you know, Geisley is real popular. Uh, CMC is real popular. There's uh, velocity makes one jar jewel, um, uh, Timney. Mm-hmm. Timney makes some extraordinarily light trigger. Hyperfire makes some really, uh, really light triggers. But, you know, I'm not going to say that one brand is better than the other because I think that, um, you know, again, it falls down to application. It falls down to, to what you're doing with the gun. You know, um, if you're building a car, you're going to tow a boat or you're going to drag race, you're going to build that car specifically for that application and, and guns should be no different. That's a terrible analogy. Yeah, I actually, I like to try to work in a car analogy in every conversation. So you did, <laughs> you did a good job there, but what's fun about having a cool old car, making it yours, right? right. Train changing every little bit, just the way that you want it. And so, yeah, what, that's the coolest thing about that platform is there probably is hundreds of triggers that you could choose from. Sure. And, and a lot of them are, are good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably some junk out there too, but there, there's a ton of brands doing a good job. Again, some people it's less important the actual weight of the pull; it's more important the quality of the pull. Right. right? And so some people just want something light, and uh, basically everybody's got an option, and there's a ton of different budgets you can fit in. Yeah, that's that's very true. We were talking about there are some some drop in. I don't want to say generic, but some of, some of the lower cost in. Spectrum triggers, you know, that are in the the hundred to one hundred and twenty nine dollar range, and then when you start getting into you know Geisley's and, and Hyperfire and um, Timney, uh, you get well north of the the two hundred and fifty dollar range in some cases, depending oh, yeah. on it. So you know, how do you how do you justify? You know, is it worth 
250 bucks. Personally, I wouldn't spend money on a Geisley trigger. And I'm going to say that because, and, and you guys can shit all over me for, <laughs> for talking bad about Geisley, but I don't think the value's there. I think let's compare it to a CMC trigger. Now, I'm not saying CMC is better than Geisley because, you know, if you want to measure them out in a scientific analysis type thing, I mean, you're going to have a winner and you're going to have a loser, but I don't think the value is there in Geisley. I don't think the performance is there. It's just not when you compare it to like a CMC or something in that range of the, the 160, 170, 180 dollar trigger, when you're talking about spending 240, 250 bucks on a Geisley, I don't see the extra 80 dollars. I mean, that's 40 percent of the cost of the CMC trigger. Yeah, and there's there's diminishing returns with everything. So, like you say, the, the hundred dollar triggers aren't really generic per se, but they've kind of become a commodity. You know, it's light, it's shiny, it's 100 yeah. bucks, it works pretty good. Right. Good enough is good enough sometimes. If you want the best, if you want something that's a little bit more of a mil spec, you might end up paying 250 bucks. And, and some of those guys, maybe they want a good trigger, but they're carrying it in the patrol car, and that's a $270 application. Very true. All right, we got to take a break, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to wrap up the trigger discussion, and uh, we're going to get into some, some good old-fashioned Second Amendment stuff right here after the break. Stay with us on Bullet Points. I think it's time to go blow something up. We'll be right back. Explosions! Thanks for staying with us. Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft. Uh, We were talking before the break about uh, AR-15 triggers, drop-in triggers specifically, and uh, what's good, what's bad, what's different, where the value is, and, and why you should or should not do one or the other. Um, and, and again, you know, back to the, uh, to the really expensive triggers, I think there's a, there's sort of a, a misnomer with some people, um, in the, in the AR 15 industry that, um, you're only going to get good product when you spend really, really good money. And that's not always true. There's definitely some value, uh, out there. And I made the comparison of, uh, CMC to Geisley. Um, I will say that uh, with few exceptions at Black Rifle Company, the majority of the custom ARs we build, uh, we start with a CMC trigger. Just recommend that to the customer. Now, we don't force it on the customer. If they want something different, then, you know, their their money spends just as well on a CMC trigger as it does a Geisley or, or anybody else out there. And there are a lot of folks out there making a lot of good triggers. More and more uh, these days, there's a lot more choices for the consumer, I think, than there ever has been in the AR-15 market because everybody and their mom is making an AR-15 part today, which is, again, great for the consumer. It's good for consumers. It's good for retailers because, uh, you know, we don't, uh, uh, you know, not just us, not just Black Rifle Company, but but gun stores out there, you know, everybody can offer something a little bit different. So, again, choices for the consumer um, definitely drive the market and uh, and keep it going. But, you know, the reason that I kind of fall to CMC um, at Black Rifle Company, they're a Texas-based company. They're good folks, um, and I like to keep business uh, here in Texas when I can. So I do, and uh, we've not – I'm not going to say we've never had an issue with a CMC trigger. We had an issue with some trigger pins one time, and we called those folks up, and they overnighted uh, the trigger pins that we needed plus some extra stuff. So kudos to those guys for uh, for taking care of it. Uh, we haven't done uh, too many Geisley triggers, um, but I've shot them. I've ran them guns. Um, we've built a lot with Hyperfire, too. 
And uh, but you know, I, I'm kind of getting off the rails here a little bit, but I just say all that to say that that there are literally a, there's just a ton of good choices out there. But really, the bottom line is um, is do your homework. You definitely don't have to spend um, every dollar in the budget to get a decent trigger. And um, you know, most of the time, you can get you can get what you want. Uh, without having to break the bank, but um, you owe it to yourself to go out and, and check out different triggers. And we've got some, uh, we've got some lower receivers built out at the shop that we can let people, you know, try a two stage or a single stage or three pound, um, you know, flat trigger, curve trigger. There's all kinds of stuff out there, and some of it does come to not only the application of the Air 15, but uh, the the preference of the individual. You know, what are you comfortable shooting? Because it doesn't matter what I like or what Jeremy might shoot. You know, um, at the end of the day, the gun belongs to you. You know, it's your it's your weapon. So you have to build it according to your preferences and uh, and your skill level and the uh, the application of the weapon. So, guys, do your do your homework, uh, do your research and, and never, ever buy anything just because your buddy owns the same thing. That's the worst reason to do it. Um Jeremy's over there laughing because <laughs> that's very true. Just ask yourself, would you marry your buddy's wife? Oh, but, well, huh. Would you buy your buddy's trigger? Yeah. Same requirements. Same requirements. Same requirements. Be comfortable with it. Yeah. Well, in some cases, the answers would be yeah, and, and other times, no. Because some of my friends Case have, by case. Yeah, case by case basis. That's right. Well, again, it has to fit the application. That's what I'm saying. It has to fit the application, case by case. There you go. I thought we were going to make this about cows. No. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was a little bit of an inside joke there. So let's go to, uh, let's talk some Second Amendment stuff. And this is uh, Second Amendment Talk Radio. So, um, you know, the Second Amendment, um, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Um, the Second Amendment... You know, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And I think that's what probably 99% of the people out there, uh, even those on the side of the Second Amendment, um, that is about all that they know about it. Um, You know, you can't take our guns because mm, Second Amendment. Um, We can say whatever we want because uh, First Amendment yeah, that's more true than not true, but there's a lot more to it than that. So I wonder how many of you out there have ever really sat down and and done any any digging, any any uh, research is probably not the right word, but, but no, it, yeah. I mean it's research, but um, you know a lot of people are a little shy of reading, but history has some of the most interesting stories you're ever going to find, and they're true mostly, depending on who you get your history from. So you, the part that you forgot about the Second Amendment, you know, I'll be the bad guy, is the militia clause, right? right. That's, what, that's what all the, the other folks are going to say. They're going to say the right um, to keep and bear arms may not be infringed, but you left out the first part. Right. Right. No, I, and I did that in reference because I think the right to keep and bear arms, they, they, they do forget about that. They leave right. that out. And, and I think that people, that pro-Second Amendment people, leave that out because they don't think it is applicable. Mm-hmm. And anti-Second Amendment people put that in there. They leave because, the second part out. Right, and they leave the second part out because it is a point of contention. They can say, no, we don't need a standing militia now because it's 2018. 
mm-hmm. and our government would never do tyrannical things to its citizens. Like, you know, use drones to <laughs> Spy. kill people in sovereign countries. Yeah, we would never do that. That wouldn't happen. That would not happen. It just got dark. <laughs> yeah. What, are we still on? <laughs> no, but, but I know you're right. Uh, people don't, uh, I don't think they, they, they dig anymore to it. I don't think they realize that there was, uh, there was a ton of discussion amongst the founding fathers you know, prior to not only the Second Amendment, but, you know, uh, the First Amendment, the writing of the Declaration of Independence yep. and everything that the went into The Constitution in and of itself. And the, the best part is we've got all those letters, more or less. They're we all do. They're all out there. We can look at them. So, um, yeah, the, the, the clause, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So... The question is, who is this militia that we're talking about, right? What did they mean by militia? And a lot of people will try to use word salad or they will try to use an English professor to break down what well-regulated means now, what well-regulated meant in 1787, and try to back into a solution that way. Um, And to me, when you have the original letters from the original folks that were working on this project, I don't know why you wouldn't just take it straight from them. Yeah, agreed. Well, I can tell you why a lot of people don't take it straight from them, because it doesn't fit their anti-2A narrative. facts are pointing. They hurt sometimes. Yeah, facts get in the way of someone's truth on occasion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, if that's not the narrative that they want to spin, they're not going to give— they're not going to submit evidence to the contrary, because it doesn't— it doesn't side with them, and I think that, um, again, people people pick and they parse and they choose— and they, uh, they interpret um, history as they see fit. But with, uh, you know, the letters um, and the communication that our founding fathers had on this subject is really, in my opinion, I don't think it's open to interpretation because it's pretty, it's pretty plain what they thought, what was bouncing around in their heads, and what they wanted to accomplish and the reasons that they wanted to accomplish it um, are pretty pretty evident. Yeah, one of the I mean, one of the simplest quotes that you're going to find the first thing when you start doing your research is, um, you know, in response to the question I ask, who are the militia? They consist now of the whole people except a few public officers. So George Mason, um, you know, out of Virginia, uh, had a pretty straightforward take on this. When you say there should be a militia. And we should not debar them the use of arms. Who who are you talking about? And you're talking about the citizenry. All right. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's very that's very specific, and uh, they all had uh, had some very good reasons for for doing what they did. And I think that uh, you know the other thing that always gets me is um, uh, you know modern. Anti-2A folks will will make the argument that, um, you know, what was in play then or that the fears then um, do not apply now because it's a different world. And uh, and they go off on and say, you know, well, they never could have conceived of the AR-15, you know, back then. Sure. It was, um, yeah, the amendment was talking about muskets or you know, cannons or things of that nature. But 
when you really look at that, what was a musket in 1787? A musket was a frontline infantry weapon. You know, that was the most efficient tool that they had. And right. so what, what would the equivalent of that be? Yeah, another musket. Yeah, I mean, it, it, right. it, it was the same, the same weaponry that the British or the revolutionary folks were using. It was mm-hmm. not an ancient uh, squirrel harvesting device so that you could put food on your plate. It wasn't about hunting. Right. Does that mean I can have a cannon? Sure. You, you should. You, you probably should have two. Yeah. You probably should have two. I mean, they did. They did. Yes, uh, we, we talked about this already. I, you, I think those are still legal, yeah. No, flamethrowers are absolutely legal. Okay. Uh, uh, X Products makes a, a pretty nice, and they make two different versions, actually. That's good. And uh, we're direct dealer with them, so whenever you're ready. Hmm. Um, <laughs> shameless plug. Yes, shameless plug. Oh. Um, but, yeah, they, uh, they, they, they forget that, that the equivalency of... Sure. Yeah, so they have one, we have one. Right, so, so you, you can't send an email to your congressman that says that you respectfully disagree with his opinion because they didn't have email when they wrote the First Amendment. That's crazy. Why would it apply to that? They could have never conceived of you being able to send everyone in Congress a respectful disagreement email, right? Right. So that's... Or, or a Facebook page. Or yeah, now a... Facebook's a private... They're a private company, so they can decide what you can say. Well, no, I'm not saying Facebook. <laughs> Facebook is a not Facebook is a, a dissenting entity, but right. I'm saying the the format of social media indeed in, in, to be able to, to disagree on a platform such right. as that. That's another one of those things that that they could have. And in, 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 um, I, I think you could make a strong argument that some of those things, although they are private entities, are starting to take the same place as a public square, to where they may actually have to. Uh, treat the, sec- the First Amendment differently uh, than, a, than a normal private entity would. If you come to my house or business and say things I don't agree with, I can throw you out. Yeah. That's not a First Amendment issue. No, it's not. It's a my house issue. Right, it's a, it's a my house, not yours issue. <laughs> but yeah. Facebook has gotten to be a public square where people communicate. So Yeah, it, uh, it, it has been. We, we've had the discussion in past shows that, um, you know, it— uh, they are they are such a large entity and control or not control well yeah they control it uh, such a, a large flow of communication these days that that yeah I think it uh, by the nature of of how they've grown and what they've you know kind of turned into yeah, they necessarily they necessarily have to do that hey we got to take a break real quick but but stay with us uh, we're going to continue the Second Amendment discussion on the other side of the break right here on Bullet Point. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Welcome back to Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft. Jeremy Urban in the studio with me. We're talking Second Amendment stuff. We're talking historical Second Amendment and how the Founding Fathers uh, got to... Um, uh, to where we are today, you know, what the, the foundation and the uh, the groundwork that they laid for us beyond just uh, just kind of what we learned in school about the Second Amendment, kind of what their intent uh, was and, and what it wasn't. And uh, the things that have, have kind of come out of that have arisen out of that in the um, historical makeup of the United States, what it was back then and what it is now, what it's become. Uh, but, you know, before we uh, kicked off into the break, um, we sort of got off on uh, 
Social media, and this is kind of a First Amendment thing, not really a Second Amendment thing, but I think they... they, They're tied together. Yeah, they follow each other very, very closely. So First Amendment, you know, social media, and and you guys that uh, regular listeners of Bullet Points know that I've talked about this uh, a handful of times, but, um, you know, we talked about YouTube um, wanting to remove um, gun-based, you know, Second Amendment videos, gun videos... Uh, all the way down to, you know, showing how to install accessories or showing how to shoot or disassemble a gun, basic gunsmithing stuff, reviews of firearms, all this stuff. Um, so one could make the argument, hey, you know, it's my First Amendment right. Well, no, it's not because YouTube is its own company. Google owns that company. If they don't want you saying it, they can restrict it. Yeah, as consumers, we can bitch and cry, and maybe they'll fold like wet toilet paper, but it's unlikely. I mean, they're not Dick's Sporting Goods, for God's sakes. They're not just going to bend over and take it. Um, but, um, you know, Google does that. Facebook is pretty good at it. Uh, Instagram, although they are, uh, they are Facebook Junior, they, um, they are not, not as likely to, to take down a, uh, uh, a gun-based um, video or photo. Although I, I have, I've never had any of mine taken off Instagram, but Facebook, I have Facebook. They've, they've yanked that stuff off. So Jeremy, you mentioned that, that just sort of nature of the beast, the, the growth, the expansion and the huge, huge footprint that Facebook has that, that may be cause for them to look at, um, how they, uh, how they, how they parse out the First Amendment when it comes to the application of that and the people that uh, that use Facebook, and certainly damn near everybody does. And I don't think, you know, I mean, just Zuckerberg was in front of Congress here recently talking about, you know, all kinds of different stuff, privacy policy and, and this and that. And, you know, I don't know, maybe they'll maybe they'll change up a little bit. I doubt it. I doubt it. We'll we'll see how long it takes them to get there. I actually, you know, I'm not the most tech-savvy person in the world, but I I found watching um, Zuckerberg get questioned by a bunch of septuagenarians in Congress about technology to be more painful than Michelle Wolf at the... uh, um, At the correspondence dinner? Yeah, you know, some of those jokes were dead on. Some of them were a little over the line, but you get what you pay for. So... um, there's a lot of folks there that don't have a great grasp on how these things work Mm -hmm. and they are writing policy. So I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's just a matter of timing when we decide that companies like Google or Facebook have strayed away from being private organizations and have gotten a little too close to being like a utility, a public utility. And and, and those kind of... um, Decisions are going to have to change then because at that point they're going to be less allowed to play with speech. Yeah, uh, and that is kind of a it's kind of a weird spot because I don't really think that there has never been at least not in my recollection I can't uh, I can't think of anything else any any time that an entity has found itself in a position of a Facebook or a Google or a YouTube in that. You know, they have such a large hold on the business is not the right word, but it is a business. But what they do, their their information regulation, let's say, and uh, and it's people's it's people's personal information. Yeah, they have it's, the ability to control the flow of information, what you see. Yeah, that's that's true. And, you know, one can make the argument, well, if you don't like it, don't use Facebook. Well, 
Okay, that's true. And to a degree, that's true. But again, yeah, at some point, um, you start to draw conclusions like, um, you know, on television, they make everybody give the political parties time. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's a way a lot of people can receive information. Um, so if you had a television station that a billion people watched, you, you know, you would put some strings on them in what they showed and who they gave time to, right? So I'm, I'm um, you know, and it's an issue I'm kind of torn on because I'm a small government, stay out of my business, um, you know, free market guy. But um, again, at some point, this goes from being a fun little distraction into being a, a way that many, many people see, consume, and, and spread information. Right, and I think that's where the, the problem really is, is, um, you know, if they were shunting everyone's opinion, you know, and just maybe yeah. let's say that that Facebook as a well, I guess in, in, in kind of a roundabout way they're doing it, but you know, if they allowed equal time, you mentioned on the uh, on the political spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, radio shows do the same thing. If you're going to give one candidate an hour, you give the other one an hour because that's fair. But, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles and the uh, and the YouTubes and the Instagram and the Twitters of the world are certainly not doing that. They are they're outside it, of those rules right now. They are. And they are. They happen so quick. Yep. You know, those things evolve over time. Sure. And, and, and it's easy to see that it's easy to see what they are, what they're after, what they're what they're parsing away from. Versus what they f- let flow, mm-hmm. you know, and that is that is conservative stuff. That is, you know, typical right wing values, you know, Christian values, Second Amendment stuff, you know, stuff that's more, I, I guess, red state centric, you know, offensive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Stuff that's scary. No, but if if they said, you know, if they let's say they just did Thanksgiving dinner rules, nobody talk about abortion, nobody talk about religion, nobody talk about politics, everything else is free free game. That, that's a different thing than what they're doing. Right, because it applies to everyone. Exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely... This is just a beef-free zone. Everybody, be cool, talk about movies, music, yeah. stuff like that. And they're not doing they're that. Not doing they're that. No, they're not doing that at all. They're allowing, um, you know, they're allowing uh, certain content to... Well, they're, they're demonetizing things that don't fit with their worldview. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And I've said before, you know... Um, I, you know, Black Rifle Company, we have a Facebook page and uh, Facebook always pops up with this post is performing better than blah, 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 blah. Boost the post. Mm-hmm. Go to boost it. Nope. Sorry. Mm-hmm. We you don't want a your money. of a 30 round magazine. Yeah. yeah. I, or I, anything with an AR in it. Anything with. Yeah. I mean, just about any kind of gun. You can't. I think you could get a 1911 in there. You probably could. Eight rounds. That's yeah. legal in New York. Eight, round, they gotta, eight rounds. They got to let you do that. Marginally functional. It's been figured out for 100 years. <laughs> yeah. If it ain't broke, why That's the other thing. How far back do you go? How far back do you go before something is a scary weapon of war? Yeah. Yeah, that's right? true. Right? The AR's been out since... Um, 60... My dad was... <laughs> five. I know. It, yeah, uh, 65 or 66. I think earlier than that. I think you could buy them on the... But when did civilian Stoner, market in the late fifties and early sixties? No, because that was uh, AR fifteen was from Armorlite. That's Eugene Stoner um, okay. ahead of. I think that was. It, it might have been as far back as sixty four. Sure, but but I that's, mean certainly a long a that's long like time fifty years. right a long time yeah yeah a long time so um, an AK forty seven yeah 
Automatica Kalishnikov 1947. Go. That's an old, right on old gun. Right. That's very old. Um, yeah. SKS is equally as old. Still scary. Still scary. Too yeah, scary. Still Wep- making... Weapon of war. Yeah, weapon of war. Mass you know? destruction. But, you know, the, here's the thing. In, you know, in, in during the Civil War, they came out with... Uh, uh, oh, man. Uh, rimfire. Yeah. Yeah, so they'd have a more reliable form of ignition that would work better in, in weather and things. So... Is is a ten twenty two a weapon of war now? Yeah, exactly. And if you go back further, was that musket not a? I mean, was that not a weapon of war? Right. When Everyone d- in the Civil War and the Revolutionary War was killed with the equivalent of a musket. So yeah, it was the scariest weapon on the planet at that time. Yep. That that a, that a, a single human being could mm-hmm. wield. Yeah, you could shoot like three times in a minute. You could just mow people down. You yeah. Could, Pick out the officers. The mass shootings that must have occurred back in those days. It was massed <laughs> shootings. <laughs> that's what it well, was. You got 25 guys in a row. and Yeah, that's, that's how they lined up. But, yeah, that's another good point. So all of these scary guns that have been around since the early uh, 20th century, they've been available for a long time. Mm-hmm. So why are they just now being used in some of the ways that they are? Yeah, and I, you know, my argument about that is always, um, it's never, people have a hard time. I always say people have such a hard time because people, the the human, the individual is complex. It's difficult to figure out, you know, it's hard to, you know, people, anytime there's a killing or, you know, you, you see it on the news. I mean, you see it on the news. If, if, you know, mom's kid is acting up and he goes out and, and does something, be it, you know, if he gets shot by the police because he's robbing a store or he has a confrontation with the police or he gets accused of homicide and, you know, the, the parents and the family members and the people in schools and the neighbors and all that stuff. When the, the TV folks interview him, they're like, oh, I don't know. He was just a nice guy. He was, I don't know why he would do that. They get all confused because they have no idea. And of course, no one, nobody knows. I mean, really. Um, because people are difficult to figure out. It's hard to tell why somebody would or would not do something. But if you can point to an inanimate object that doesn't have uh, emotion, that doesn't talk back, that doesn't, that doesn't have any life experience, it's just laying there on the table, you can say, you know what? The there's bullet, your problem. Right, there's your problem right there. The bullet came out of that, mm-hmm. went into another person, and that person died so it's got to be that thing's fault. It's not the person's fault that pulls the trigger. That's way too damn complicated to figure out. Right. So let's just blame it on this. Let's take this out of the way, and let, let's forget about the individual. But that's just not true. And I don't know when we got to a point that we can't look at the individuals and say, you know what, dude, you're a bad guy. You're a bad guy, and you ought to be in jail. You ought to have your ass kicked, whatever. <laughs> You know, you're, you're a douchebag, and stop it. Stop it. All right. Ugh. We're going to go to a commercial, but stay with us, and we will, we will continue uh, a very interesting conversation here. Bullet points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I think it's time to go blow something up. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft, Jeremy Erb, in the studio. 
We're talking First and Second Amendment today, so you get the bonus bonus amendment for free. And hey, by the way, uh, today's show guarantee, if you don't like this one, the next one is free. Um, we're talking about the, uh, the individual and lack of uh, responsibility and the individual when it comes to uh, gun ownership, committing crimes, and uh, kind of everything that goes with that and how it's difficult for us as human beings to parse out what other human beings are are doing. And Jeremy, you said something, um, uh, you know, as good folks, as good people, and I agree with you, I think most people are good people. I think most people um, try their best to do the right thing. They try their best to... Uh, to treat other folks in a, uh, in a, in a reasonable manner. Um, and no, we're not perfect. So, so things do happen, but when, when, when one of the good guys, when one of the, the contributing members to society, we see somebody act in an irrational or violent manner for no reason whatsoever, at least no reason, reason that we can fathom. It's very confusing because I can't put myself there. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, you see on the news and, you know, my wife and I, we're watching the news and you see something crazy happen and she'll always say, why would somebody do that? You know, why Irrelevant. Would, right. It <laughs> doesn't I, matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, matter. Right. It doesn't. But, but yeah, people are nuts. But people are nuts. Yeah. People are nuts. People are nuts. Uh, anyway, so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll summarize all that by just saying that, um, you know, I say it all the time, can't out-legislate the criminal. So none of these laws that, that, that these folks want are going to help. They're not. They're just not. They're just not. Taking guns away is not going to do anything. Um, you know. And, well, that, that's assuming that a law can take guns away. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, is it even going to take guns away from bad actors? No. No, it's not. No, it's going to take them away from. It's not. Uh, it didn't. It didn't work in. Uh, it didn't work in Chicago, Cook County. No. Doesn't work there. Doesn't work in Los Angeles. Doesn't work. Doesn't in work Washington, in Washington D.C. No. no, it doesn't work there. It didn't absolutely work in, didn't work in Britain, and that's an island. Yeah, yeah. Now they have a they have a, a cutlery um, issue. Yeah. I'm glad that the National Cutlery Association has stepped up to defend that, though. Mm. I just made that up. Those guys are murderers. They are. They are. <laughs> Hey, so the other thing I wanted to, to kind of touch on, you know, hey, here we are, another show, another week, another me begging some anti-gun knucklehead to come on here. And I'm just going to start calling them names because they're, they're, they're just, they're freaking cowards. I mean, how can so many of these people back here, not one person, not one person wants to come in here and sit down in the chair with me and discuss it? You know, I, you know I'm not going to argue with you. I just want you to lay your point out. I'm going to ask you some questions. But please articulate what you want to say. Let me hear it. Make me understand it because right now I don't. I don't. There are, we were talking about YouTube earlier. If you guys get on YouTube and search for some of these, you know, anti gun rallies, these anti Second Amendment rallies, these no more school shooting rallies, and you'll have some folks um, go out and and sort of interview the people at the rallies to try to figure out what it is that they want, what it is they're trying to say. And, and one of two things happens in every video, and that is either these people don't have a damn clue about what they're talking about. I'm not saying they don't know about guns. Of course, they're not gun people. They don't know about guns, but they don't understand the law. They think every AR-15 is fully automatic. They think, you know, everything is a machine gun. They they have no idea about what it is. They think people can just walk in and get a gun from wherever they want, whenever they want, no matter how old they are. 
I mean, they have all this ridiculous misinformation, and I often wonder, do they even bother to check? Obviously not. That, that's the one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is whoever the guy is or the girl that's coming out to interview the people that are pissed off at the gun rally, they get pissed off at that guy or girl and tell them that they don't want them here. So, I mean, are you so concerned? I mean, if something, if, you know, if, if I'm upset with something like I am now, I want somebody, I'm begging somebody to come on here, but nobody will. I want somebody to come. I, I'm inviting a dissenting opinion. I want you to share it with me. I want you to help me understand where you're at because, you know, Jeremy, we're talking in the green room and you said that people often have more in common than they would think. And, you know, murders by firearms is one thing that I think neither side wants. I don't want to see anybody else get killed. That, that's some pretty easy common ground. Yeah. I also want to see less people get murdered. Yeah. And, I mean, and if that's their goal, they should start with that instead of painting people as murderers and heathens and, you know, tinfoil hat lunatics. Yeah. If you said, I want to, I want to put forth something that will reduce the number of murders in this country. I don't think anyone will disagree with you. I would certainly not uh, would not disagree with that. But if you post a picture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you post a picture of Donald Trump on Facebook with a funny quote on it, how many people is that going to bring to your side? Do you think? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. It's a low level of discourse because not everybody everybody knows how they feel, but a lot of people don't know why they feel. Right. I just don't think that because a lot of times um, it looks and, and I don't want to I don't want to be too biased. But as soon as I say that, I'm about to be. Mm. But typically, the, the, yeah, the folks on the, uh, the the folks on the other side, the, the anti-gun folks seem to be the ones that are, at least in my experience, the least likely to want to come and have a a real no kidding Discussion. You know, you hear phrases like common sense gun laws. Well, explain to me what the hell that is. What, yeah, what is it, that for you? I know what it, I know what it is for me because we have them already. That's what it is for me. But explain to me where you are, you know, anti-gun guy. Tell me about that. Yeah, it'd be I mean, nice to be able to have a conversation, just a, you know, a dispassionate argument. You sure. can always find some common ground with people. Let's, let's see things from the other side. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you. Right. But can we just have a real conversation? Yeah. Right? Could that hurt anything? No, I don't think it could. It, it could only make things better if, uh, but but for whatever reason, these folks are not willing to come and put that out there. And it makes me think that maybe on some level, they know that they're just scared, that they don't really have well, a legitimate argument. They're They're... They're juxtapositioned to the Second Amendment and and what they their perception of what the Second Amendment stands for is really different than what the reality is. And I think that if they come out and start to discuss that, they're going to realize that maybe they are not as right as they thought they were. And not that you're scared of being you know a right or wrong. That's not an admission of okay, well maybe I was making a mistake, but uh, but just to it's going to make them realize that their whole thing is out of, or, or a large part of their argument is based in, in fear and misunderstanding, yeah, and in ignorance. It's Compassion. not right, and and it's an emotional response. We have they, to do something right now. Yeah, we got to do something. Something. Right now. We have to do something. Yeah, because you can't do nothing. Something. You got to do something. So it's yeah, a, I, 
So, okay, Woodrow Wilson was probably not the most famous or best president we ever had, but he said something that I like to use um, in a lot of different places. And his, his quote was, one cool judgment is worth a thousand hasty counsels. So the thing to be supplied is light, not heat. And, and really what that means to me is instead of getting people hyped up and divided and angry, the thing to do is to supply facts and have open and real conversations. Yep. And that's how you're going to get your best decisions. That's it. And I, I, I've said as much here that you, you can only have a, a legitimate argument if that argument centers around a common set of facts. Otherwise, you're just fighting, and fighting gets you nowhere. If you, you forgot to hold hands. Yeah, that too. That too. We got to sing a little. We got to sing a little. <laughs> now, I don't even have to like you, honestly. I just, you know, I'm pretty open-minded. I can see things from yeah. from both sides of it, but but everyone needs to come to the conversation. No, absolutely. That's it, man. Hey, guys, we're out of time. Jeremy, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. You are welcome back anytime, <laughs> sir. This has been Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Join us next Tuesday at 3. We'll be here. You guys be safe.